0: Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Thursday, July 2nd here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well. They're staying safe as we continue to fight the coronavirus. Coming up today on the podcast is a really interesting and fun interview that I recorded earlier this week with the head boys basketball coach at Phillips Exeter Academy, Jay Tilton uh prep school basketball for anyone who doesn't know in the northeast is where so many of the top top players go and it's the most competitive leagues with the best players the best teams and incredibly good coaches uh coach tilton falls in that category he's had a ton of success at Exeter, He's coached a lot of great players a lot of great college guys at all levels d1 d2 d3 so i was really pumped that he was able to take the time to uh to join me on the podcast and uh Yeah, I had a lot of fun talking to him. Before we get to the interview, on Recommendation Corner this week, uh, I definitely want to shout out and recommend there was an article in The Athletic uh, today uh, where it detailed the Sandlot-type games going on down in South Florida. It was by uh, Brittany Garoli, who writes for The Athletic. She wrote an article about how all these MLB All-Stars we're all working out together and having these secret Sandlot style games and uh, workouts. And just it was just completely awesome, incredible article. So, shout that out. Anyone on the Athletic uh, can go read that great, great article. And hoping everyone, as we head into this, has a great holiday weekend. Uh, my recommendation would be on Disney Plus, if you have Disney Plus, uh, the Hamilton musical. By Wesleyan alum Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, is now on Disney Plus, and it's a great, great show. It should the movie should be great. as the whole original cast, so recommend everyone checking that out. But I'm going to hit the music, and when we come back, I'll be joined by Jay Tilton from Phillips Extra Academy. Joining me today on the podcast is a special guest, the head boys basketball coach at Phillips Exeter Academy, Jay Tilton, a graduate of Hobart College. He began his coaching career at the high school ranks at Freiburg Academy in Maine, and after six years there, he was named an assistant coach at Dartmouth, where after four years with the Big Green, he joined Phillips Exeter in the admissions department and as an assistant ba- coach on the basketball team, and he's been the head coach at Phillips Exeter from uh, starting in the summer of 2005. In his time at Exeter, he has coached numerous players who have gone on to play college basketball at the Division One, Two, II, and Three levels, including perhaps most famously Duncan Robinson, who is now a starring wing uh, shooter for the Miami Heat and a friend of the podcast. I'm thrilled, Coach Tillman, is taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going?
1: Good, David. Thanks for having me. It's a uh, real honor to to be uh, interviewed by you, and I appreciate you taking the time and appreciate you doing the homework. Uh, <laughs> my background, uh, for sure. It was-
0: for sure. So, so, so I guess e- even though I did some homework, you know, let's just start at the beginning for the listeners. Kind of where did you grow up, and kind of how did you first get involved with the game of basketball?
1: Yeah, sure. You know, I'm a I'm a uh, New England guy, primarily New Hampshire through and through. Uh, with my short stint leaving uh, New England to be uh, at Hobart College for my my undergrad, but I've I've been sort of in the in the public and private school ranks for a long time. I I grew up in northern New Hampshire in a, uh, you know, it was a predominantly uh, mill town, Berlin, New Hampshire, which is, quite a, you know, not, not all that far from the Canadian border. Okay. And it uh, seems like it's, you know, when I was growing up there, I felt like, uh, you know, Exeter, New Hampshire was Florida for me <laughs> at that point. But I'm the uh, son of two educators. Uh, I have three older siblings who were, um, you know, all... Products of both combination of uh, public and private school. Two older brothers who were athletes, so it's sort of in my blood to be part of you know in education uh, and uh, coaching. My dad was a was a both public and private coach in both football and basketball for forty plus years, uh, and still you know my biggest mentor uh, in the basketball world, you know beyond beyond him being, being my dad mm-hmm. um and um yeah so i you know I, I just had good influences great people along the way who frankly you know without the influence of my dad introducing me to camps as a kid and, and doing all these things i, I think i sort of through osmosis gained a lot of um uh, relationships and and understanding of of the game through just really important people I was around within it. So I you know great appreciation for for those people now.
0: So um, so as you're growing up in in New Hampshire and, and as you're in school and approaching high school, were you a, a multi-sport athlete? You know, you, you mentioned your dad was a football coach. Did did you also play football, or, or were you always like a basketball guy?
1: Yeah, I you know I I loved those. Grew up in the in the uh, period where pretty much everyone played everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was as a young, as a young kid, I played three sports and really started to kind of um, specialize a little bit more as I got older and played football and in basketball in, uh, in high school uh, and at the New Hampton school where I graduated from, I did three years of a public school and then did uh, two years, did a repeat junior year when, when we transitioned as a family to the New Hampton school and I played a couple sports there, but it was pretty clear to me that basketball was going to be my path. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my real first taste of being part of, you know, kind of a you know, I, I guess you call it a more progressive big time program in right. New Hampton compared to public school in New Hampshire that I I would to being in. So that's sort of where I really kind of started to establish my. Um, identity or self-identity and thought process of of wanting to be, you know, a coach and an educator myself and taking after what my my dad and some of my other mentors uh, were all about. Uh, So that was kind of the the start of it.
0: So, so as you're at the the New Hampton school, you're in prep school, kind of just what was your recruiting process like if, if you had one and and just what was it about Hobart college that really stuck out to you?
1: (laughs) You know, that was one of the few schools I got into.
0: <laughs>
1: no, it was uh, actually, to be totally honest, with you, and you may be uh, aware of, uh, familiar with Whitless Shore, who is uh, sort of a legend the prep school coaching ranks, the sure, yeah. Christian Academy. Now he was actually my one of my coaches, along with my father, at the New Hampton School, and and Whit was a Hobart. Grad and uh, you know I owe a lot to him because I, I don't think I even knew how to spell Hobart when I, <laughs> when I was in New Hampton. He he introduced me to the school and and uh, instrumental in me ending up there in uh, in a few different ways. And um, you know I, I, it was just a really unique experience for me. I think it was good for me to kind of get away from the nest a little bit, right. gain some independence, and um, you know it was, it was a it was a great school for me. Uh, my I was injured early in my career I had the the dreaded ACL tear back in the you know back in the late 80s early 90s that was the ACL was a bit of the death nail for a a career so that you know put me back quite a bit Uh, and I think you know that that was really the time that forced me to transition out of my comfort zone and start to really think about if I really wanted to be part of this game uh, I had to kind of make an earlier decision than I really wanted to, and how I was going to you know, re- remain part of it. And coaching be, kind of became something that was more important to me. And, right. you know, my dad was still coaching at that time. He, he was a head coach in New Hampton at that point, and um, he had a lot of, you know, really high profile players. He had, um, you know, Pat Knight was played for him, Conzo Martin played for him, uh, Lawrence Moten. Some really. You know, well-established collegiate and eventually pro and college coaches uh, were once under his tutelage. So I, you know, I, I the game sort of really started to grow for me through that, mm-hmm. um, and I sort of made that that transition. And when I got my first opportunity out of uh, out of college to as you mentioned, my first job was at Fryberg Academy, which is a real small school, semi-private school in Maine. Um, and I don't think they had won more than a couple games. And wow. You know, like two years before I got there, Frank. I think I got the job because no one else wanted it. Um, <laughs> but it was a great opportunity for me to come in as a young coach and figure out exactly—you know—do I really want to do this, and what was important to me. And um, you know, I, I think looking back at those days, I'm so different now as a coach. And you know, I clearly like to think I have a little better sense of doing of what I'm doing now than I did then. <laughs> but the one thing that remains though is just sort of the relationships, right? You know, it started when I was a little kid going to going to camps that my dad took me to. He would he would go and work the camps for free so I could go. Right. Um, and I, I went to the Pine Tree Camp at Colby. That was like the staple. And I actually ironically went to the Phillips Exeter Camp for okay for years while with my brothers back when you know before AAU was a thing and and those skills camps were were all the rage. Right. Right. Um, but that's sort of you know I. I again, I learned sort of the, the importance of the relationships within the game. And, um, those people became my mentors and I, it just sort of became, you know, natural for me to kind of be focused on that when I started coaching, even, you know, as a, as a pretty young guy out of college, right. uh, with, with a team that wasn't very good, but I really, uh, reveled in the, in getting kids to, um, enjoy their experience and, and you know, buying something that was bigger than, than themselves. And that was a lot of fun. And that's kind of what continued to fuel me uh, to moving on to my next part at Dartmouth and where I am today.
0: What what interests me, Coach, and I want to just go back to, to a quick quick second to while you were still in college is, you know, I just went through this during my college uh, time, basically once like your junior year hits and really much your senior year hits, basically so many people start focusing on, what what are you doing after graduation? It's everyone's favorite question to ask you. It's like top of mind for everyone, and and you know there are certain paths that different students go down. You know, if you want to do finance, it's very common someone to try to get an internship at a bank, or you know, if you want to do law, you go you know intern at a law firm. It sounds like you were pretty set on looking into and in, in trying to be a coach even back in high school. What type of things were you doing while you were still in college during the summers? to To really, uh, you know, jumpstart your your coaching career,
1: it was, you know, it's a great question. It was, it was all about the camps back then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are very different today. The AAU evaluation periods are, um, you know, in in some ways they're similar because you have you still have that social network of coaches that are right. there. But back then, it was, uh, you know, there was less restrictions in terms of working at colleges. So. No, it was sort of like the summer grind. I didn't think it was a grind. I it was a lot of fun. You get paid a right. hundred bucks, bucks a week to go, you know, officiate games and and maybe coach a team if you were lucky. Be a golfer at these camps, but that you know the real benefit was you get to play against the, the uh, other college players at night mm. and uh, be in the be in the you know the social gatherings with with the you know elder statesmen and the, and the coaches yeah. that were at the camp and i just learned a lot that way and got to know some people and i you know i think back to now some of the greatest influences i had i met at those camps mm-hmm. um, like tom mains is a legendary coach from from um, bath maine and he coached at morse high school he was one of the first you know coaches i had outside of sort of my circle of my father that uh i mean quite frankly he, he he was one of these guys that was a hard nosed coach who right. um, you know knew how to push kids, but you do he loves you, and even then I had him for about a week and there's a lot of other guys like that too that that you know in those camps that really helped me out both as a camper and as a counselor mm-hmm, for uh, sure so that was the big thing just just you know being immersed in that you know and frankly that the the way I got involved with my job at Dartmouth was a result of camps interesting okay. Um, yeah, Dave Fosher was my uh, who's my eventual boss and someone I have you know great adoration and respect for, in so many different levels. Uh, I worked at his camp at uh, uh, but well, he was a counselor at Exeter's camp years ago, you know, when I was a little kid, so I kind of got to know him that way. But then I worked at his camp at Dartmouth when he was the head coach there. When I was at Freiburg and. No, that just sort of, it's interesting, you, you never, I don't think you really understand at the time as you're going through it, but every time you're working at these camps, you're you're auditioning.
0: Right, for sure, 100%. You know,
1: and whether you know it or not, and um, there was a lot of uh, opportunities, I think, that I was afforded, that I was probably oblivious to, that mm-hmm. at least it, it put me in a position where I could... Um, you know, you have an opportunity to get to know people a little bit better in that environment and true my battle a bit to see if, because you never know how those how those situations have come to fruition down the yeah. road for you.
0: Yeah, I, I personally had I had an awesome internship opportunity last summer in the summer twenty nineteen and that was the advice I got from some people there and just from my you know my my parents and people at Wesley which is, you know, the whole time you're there, you, you never know who's gonna walk by where your workstation is and see what you're working on. You're you're always uh, you're always being evaluated. It's 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 yeah. kind of like yeah. it's 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 like what they say in in basketball. You know, it's like the people who work that hard when when the lights aren't on because because you never know who's watching through some window in in the gym. Like that's kind of uh, what it was like. So that's also, but like, yeah,
1: but yeah, for sure. You know, and that happens with not only coaches but players too. But yeah. I, I can just you know I think back at a at a young age that I and I didn't really know. which direction was going i thought i wanted to be a big time college coach had no idea what i was talking about at the time Mm -hmm. um but you know i I think some of the the best advice i ever had and going through the process is you're not going to get to the next spot without making without doing a heck of a job at the one you're at yeah you know so you have to just yeah live in them you know it's it's so important to have those dreams where you want to be but if you don't do a good job with who you have and and the opportunity you have in that moment, you can forget about the next step. Yeah. Uh, and um, if you, again, stay in that moment, I think, you know, that, that's how you're more apt to have uh, a longer career doing this.
0: So you get to Fryberg Academy in Maine, you're you're right out of college. You know, high school kids are 14 to 18, not that much younger than you were <laughs> yeah. at at the yeah. time. Also, 14 to 18 is a difficult age group because the maturity level, And just the development uh, level of a 14 or 15 year old is very different than a 17, 18 or 19 year old. Kind of just how did you approach coaching at Fryberg Academy, not just from the age gap between you and the players, but also just with the with the different ages and different maturity level points of the players on your team?
1: Well, in all honesty, I think at a 23, it was probably a challenging age for
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: as well where I was at that point. But, um, you know, again, I'll, I have to give so much credit to the people that I relied on as mentors. My father, again, was the top one. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he, to this day, he is, you know, he lives and dies with what my teams are, are doing on a daily basis. And it was no different, you know, whatever, 30 something years ago or honestly, it was not that long, but 25 years ago when I started out. Uh, I relied so much on him and I don't know what I, you know, I, I didn't know which way was up at that point trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But I, I still to this day, remember when I got my job and we weren't very good and we had a couple, you know, a couple of promising young players and, and, but not much of a culture at all, the program. And he had just you know, he advised me, said, first thing you have to do is you have to generate some enthusiasm within the kids in your program. Right. You know, and you yeah. have to, you have to have certain standards that, you believe, but they, they can actually define for themselves, I think is really important. Um, so that they, they're taking ownership in their experience. Uh, that, that, was a big part of it. And that's no different than what, what I do today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, try to empower the kids to be really part of it. I, you know, I was smart enough at that point, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience just to know I didn't have all the answers. So I needed to lean on other people and, and, you know, I still do that
0: now. So Um, also one of the things about high school basketball that is unique is that, you know, compared to, you know, college in in a way, high school basketball, the skill development part of it is so much of a bigger uh, aspect of just daily practices and workouts than, than say, like an in-season uh, college basketball practice you know per se yeah. so just how yeah. did you try, try to balance like obviously you're trying to win games right at, at at friesburg but also just just also try to help the kids on your team just get a lot better
1: well i you know i think part of the ironically the a little bit of an advantage i had is that we we weren't any good when i when i took over the job so there weren't there weren't expectations um, I'll be totally honest with you. we were trying our goal that year to start was to win a quarter you know we played <laughs> yeah. four quarters of basketball and it was no joke we were, we were trying to okay, let's win a quarter and then let's win another quarter and mm-hmm. we just kind of built from there um, and you know I had a lot of had a, a lot of young kids and that was probably the, the, the best thing to do was just just find out who was on board you know who was jumping on that bus that I was driving and right. uh, those who are not totally into it you know we're not good anyway so let's <laughs> let's just find out let's find out who really wants to learn how to play and be good and, and you know, build some chemistry enthusiasm for what we were doing so the focus on skill work was was really the primary thing that we had uh, we weren't you know schematically worried about what other teams were doing or frankly, what we were doing. And to be totally honest with at that point, I don't think I really had a, an offensive identity mm-hmm. anyway, as a young coach, I was just teaching skills and trying to get kids to be excited about doing what we were doing. Right. Um, frankly, because that's what I knew. That's all mm-hmm. I really knew at that time. I didn't have a whole lot of, to draw on. I think, you know, as a, you know, strategically as a coach at that point, that gotcha. really wasn't uh, w- what was my experience.
0: So, so you then get the opportunity to go to Dartmouth and be an assistant coach. And, and, and I'm always interested by this, uh, just cause so many college teams and everything in the division one level has like four or five assistant coach, uh, yeah. coaches at a time, but just like any other job, each person on the staff has different types of responsibilities. So, so while you were on the staff at Dartmouth, just what were some of, of your responsibilities, uh, with the team?
1: Yeah, David, that's, that's, honestly, that's where everything really started to, to change for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming in there, I, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, and I had such great mentors there. It, it was very different back in that period. There were no... There were no Dobos back then. You had right. – you know, especially in the Ivy League, there was uh, – there were no restricted earnings coaches or anything. There was a – you, know, you had your head coach and you had your number – you had your number two or your number one assistant and your number two. And then you had a volunteer. Um, and I came in as a volunteer. I was mm-hmm. taking graduate classes and you know waiting tables and being a uh, part-time <laughs> You know, substitute teacher and working probably fifty hours a week in the basketball office. And my job back at that point um, was primarily anything from from literally making doing logistics with the with trips and making sure the right uniforms are packed. Now you, know, you need to make sure you're back to back, you're red you're, and so you're green one night and you're white the next. You, you know, you have to do all those little logistical things that people mm-hmm. don't really know much about or th- think that much about. Um, but the real big thing I, I responsibility I took on immediately was film exchange. And that was okay. back in the day. I'm mean, honestly, I'm dating myself here, but that was VHS. Oh wow. And that was literally what you would, Jew for film exchange at that point, you would, um, it was sort of your, you know, league agreement. Uh, you would, you would get a videotape of every team you played against versus every opponent they had outside of league. So you think about, you know, you play 20, whatever it was, 28 games as an Ivy league team and roughly, you know, over half of those are against non league opponents. Yeah. I was responsible for mailing out and receiving those films of every opponent of those other 18 teams we played. So you, right. can pic- you can picture what our closet looked like. <laughs> so we get those, you know, we get those videos and my job was to edit those, um, for 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 Dave and, and the other assistants uh, who had been you know they, they had such a well-established staff there they' had, you know but been, been around a while and they were I jumped in at, at Dartmouth when phones sort were of very you know probably the high high points of the of the uh, programs mm-hmm. success that they had had in, in a real long time maybe even ever and um, so my job was really just to kind of take care of business and make sure right. they had what they needed right but sure. what I was able to do through just you know, looking at all this video of stuff I'd never seen before. Like one of the things I, I started to do was just keep a log of stuff I liked. Okay. You know, yeah. I had, I had a notebook for every out of bounds play for every you know team that we played against and, uh, and what their opponents did. And I saw what I liked, I wrote it down. Uh, I think, you know, in the back of my mind, I always knew that I either, I think the dream situation started to come in the picture for me. It was going to be a division three head coach or find an awesome, you know, prep school situation. Cause yeah. I really appreciate that. And I loved it, it as part of, it was part of my, my background. So I, I still kind of kept that as something I would, you know, may want to go back to at some point. So I just started kind of taking notes and, and keeping in my mind what, you know, what I would do. And you know, here's, that's how I sort of started developing my own philosophy and, taking what i liked from where i learned it, it, when you're coaching in the ivy league um you're learning from some pretty sophisticated offenses right yeah some you know really great coaches as there are everywhere but it was just a really unique way of play and unfortunately for me it sort of transferred over to where i am now it's mm-hmm. not so different in terms of the type of kid that we right we have sure. now relative to what i was coaching 100 you know, when, when i was in the ivy league
0: so so you leave Dartmouth after those four seasons, and, and as you mentioned, the, with the with the idea that you'd be a D three head coach or coach at a great prep school, you had that opportunity. Phillips Exeter. You know, just just for any listeners who who don't know about Phillips Exeter Academy, Phillips Exeter is probably one of the top high schools, definitely in the country, maybe even in the Western world. Uh, very famous boarding school in New Hampshire. When when you joined Exeter, they also had a legendary prep school coach of the Bats team, Malcolm Wesselnick. Yeah, Ma- Malcolm
1: Westlake. Yeah, Westlake. You know, there have not been a whole yeah. lot of coaches at Exeter. No, um, no. Most of them come in, they stay a long time, and they part of a couple. You know, they're good jobs. And mm-hmm. the Exeter community is a great community to be part of, and you're around great kids. So I don't think people are anxious to get away from it once you're fortunate again. We're kind of like those you know, those, those NESCAC jobs. Yeah. There's a reason why, there's a reason why those guys stick around as long as they do. They're, they're very, they're coveted jobs. And, uh, yeah, Malcolm, uh, was someone I had known for, for a number of years. And ironically, he coached my brother in a postgraduate year at Exeter. Okay. So it was sort of like my, my intro to, to Mal. And, um, you know, ironically, the, uh, <laughs> the sort of window to get me, into that scene there came through a uh an exeter and dartmouth alums a good friend of mine uh guy by the name of greg frame who played he was he was at exeter and dartmouth before me but i knew him from camps back in Uh um back at pine trees again back in those relationships and he called me and said he knew that malcolm was thinking of getting done in a couple years and really wanted to have someone join him and, and help out and then take the program over. And, you know, I think at that point, I wasn't really ready to to make that move yet, but I also knew what Exeter was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, a, in my mind, it was always kind of a, you know, a giant in the world of prep schools. Um, and I had had opportunities to recruit, you know, on the road. I was at saw Exeter play at times, and I saw some you know games there, and I thought you know, I really thought that Exeter could be could have the opportunity to become really good if we if they got active recruiting kids that you know that the Ivy kind of kids and mm-hmm. uh, best guy kind of players, and you know I talked to Malcolm about it, and I think you know he had been around for a long time, and wasn't he wasn't as, as uh, enthusiastic about having to put that you know, those, the, that extra miles on at that point to, to bring in all those kids that were, that prep school was becoming. And I said, well, all right, I'll join you and I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll kind of see wh- where this goes together. We built, we'll, you know, build it for a couple of years and see what we think. And, um, he ended up, uh, sticking around for, I don't know, maybe six, six, seven years or whatever it was. We did it together before he retired and I, and I took it over, but we mm-hmm. enjoyed, a lot of fun kind of building it together um it was bringing in some kids to getting you know using the notes that we we had from, right, right. from what i did at Dartmouth, and combining with things that he liked to do we just had a lot of fun together and he's you know i he was such a good mentor to me too because here you know, i was still pretty young at that point and he'd been around the block you know more than a couple times and really understood exeter well and right, i right. think that's a big a big, a big part of being successful is understanding, really understanding the place that you're at. You know, it's not just about your program; it's about how, you know, because the is not going to wag the dog at, at yeah. these these institutions. So, I didn't really understand what Exeter was all about, and you know, the, the strengths of the school, what kind of kids would would really do well there. It's not for everybody, no. but I had to figure out, I had to figure out who it was for. and He right. was really instrumental in helping me do that. Kind of keeping me grounded early on when I was I, well, I wanted to go out and you know beat the Brewsters of the world <laughs> in my first two years there, um, but he kind of kept me focused and um, and I owe a lot to him in terms of you know where we are today.
0: So you know, coach, we could probably do a separate two-hour podcast on the history of the NEPSAC, which is the New England Prep School Basketball League. You know, just their history and all the conferences because and, and, and all the teams and the divisions because there's been a, you know, in, in short, there's been a lot of reorganization in the last yeah, decade or, or yeah. so. Can, can you just briefly describe, you know, just what level are you at in terms of the, the, the division yeah. and, and just who do you play in, in that league? Sure. You know,
1: and again, I don't want to get into too much in the weeds because we could talk you're right for about another hour on that but traditionally the old prep school uh nepsac league was an abc and d division um and uh based on uh male enrollment and uh you kind of choose what league you wanted to be in for the most part at that point and um you know, there was just a lot of disparity between the, the different teams because some teams were, were heavily recruiting, others were not. So it just, you know, you, you were having some teams loaded with college level players and then you had others who schools that just weren't recruiting at all and they were just, it, just, it wasn't good for anybody. Uh, so they reshuffled the, the leagues a bit and uh, they stuck with the male enrollment model through A, B, C, and D and then they had two additional leagues which is now the current double and triple a mm-hmm. which for teams that didn't really fit that that model um and wanted to you know maybe maybe they want to be really strong and you know like uh, like a new hampton yeah um was a, a prime example a very small school uh tilton was like that a really small school but with bringing in you know really good players so right. they created two different leagues for those sort of outliers from the um from the the enrollment model, okay. Uh, so that's where we are now. We're triple A, double A, A, B, C, and D. I think the biggest misnomer is that you know as you go down from triple A to double A to single A, that you know that, that that's a that's an indication of how good teams are. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this: there are great players at every level of of prep school basketball. One hundred percent. There are. You know, I think it's just the difference is the depth. The mm-hmm. depth of talent is different from the triple A's down to the to this you know to the C's and the D's. Um, but as an A team, you know, I, I we have phenomenal teams and coaches in our in our league. I think that's true for for all of the the classes. But it's really about um, who you play, who you're willing to play. Um, you know, I again, there are class B teams that are. Beating AAA teams, and, right, you right. Know, we 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 play a lot of AA's on our schedule, and uh, usually, you know, we, we're very competitive with those teams on an annual basis. So, again, I think it's it's not so much the league you're in, but really the strength of the program and, and um, who you, you know who, who you're willing to put on your schedule.
0: Right. So, can can you also just you know briefly describe just because people always hear prep school basketball is good, but just really just, just kind of, you know, name drop a little bit of just how good nepsack basketball is, you know, in, in the last five years, uh, for instance, like Donovan Mitchell started at, 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 Brewster. He's now a star in the NBA, the Nepsac, as you mentioned from triple a down to D is full of college players and a bunch of future pros. So can, can you just, kind of, just, just kind of talk about just how good, yeah. you know, Nepsack basketball is. And, it,
1: and it's grown, you know, when I was at New Hampton and, we were we were one of the top I don't know maybe four or five teams in the country but there were only about ten of them that were any good <laughs> and then every, right. and after that it was it really dropped down to you know, they're like you're frankly they're weaker than the local public schools were uh, and it's just it's complete opposite now it's sort of a misnomer that that the uh, prep school. New England press school leagues are uh, teams are full of New England kids or not these kids are from everywhere. I mean, yeah. we're, we're a prime example. We have kids from all over the world, and I don't have that many kids from New England on my team. Most of them are from you know we have we have our recruiting hotspots in California and you know the middle part of the country and down south too, and that's the thing for a lot of lot of of. Uh, teams in SAC. so they're just loaded with play with with good talent and it's where college coaches want to go and recruit kids yeah uh i firmly is i am I'm sure I'm, I'm biased for coaching it, but i don't think that there's a better uh organization pound for pound in in, in the country in terms of the level of play across the board and um the level of coaching is just terrific. It's getting stronger and stronger and stronger every year because there's so many former college coaches and they're basically running. It's like a farm league for college programs Yeah, is what it is. And you're at the, the, the very schools you're getting, you're, you're getting exactly what the idea of a prep school is all about. They're called preparatory schools for college, mm-hmm. but, but our programs are preparatory schools for college programs.
0: So this may be, you know, a uh, a dumb question, but just like, why, uh, you know, why do kids go to prep schools? Like, or, you know, w- w- what makes the New England prep school league so appealing for so many really good top level players? Because uh, it, they all seem to be heading to New England from all around the country. Like you're saying, what is it about the New England prep school league and just prep school in general that is different than normal high school basketball
1: yeah well the momentum is really taken off now mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's it's kind of like the place to be and there it's it's yeah, i have to give a lot of credit to the really good coaches that are in nepsac that are placing kids at great schools across the board it doesn't matter what level you know division one two II, or three uh these kids are doing really well at that level mm-hmm. and that's really what it comes down to and and uh you know, if, if, again, if you do a good job with your kids at your certain spot, it's only going to benefit your program later. Because I think, you know, if you send a kid off to a college and you've done a nice job with him and you haven't oversold him um, and he has a good career there. Well, that college coach, when he has a kid that's another classman and he knows he needs to find a, a situation that's more competitive or what have you, that he's, that he's looking for an alternative to his current environment, they're going to they're gonna go back to the places that they think are You know, going to be beneficial to that kid, and and um, I think that's what our coaches are doing. They're providing an environment for kids to get the exposure they're looking for. Uh, Oftentimes, they get the extra year, whether Mm. they take a repeat year somewhere, you know, in the in the middle grades, or as a post grad. You know, it's just the transition from from high school basketball as a seventeen or eighteen year old to, as you know, as a as a college athlete. The difference between where you are as a 17- and 18-year-old as a freshman playing against a senior who's 22, 23, who's mm. been in a professionalized program at any level is night and day. So if you can get that extra year and get that leg up, it's, it's only going to help you. And I think that's sort of what the culture is of prep school, basketball, recruiting is all about now is getting that you know that, that extra development that you can uh, so that's been a big part of it you know and, and of course we've had success with kids playing at the highest level and yeah getting notoriety for it so for sure you know people want to be part of that um, that, that um that, yeah, that, that kind of brings me
0: that that kind of just brings me to my next question coach because i'm you know i'm piecing together kind of your your recruiting pitch to all these guys which is obviously exeter is a world-class high school you know you, you go there just having exeter on your resume in your application. If you do well, you basically get into any school you want, then all the perks, the great basketball, the great competition, the great coaches. You had the uh privilege of coaching Duncan Robinson before he became Duncan Robinson. And and I guess my my question is as you mentioned having guys who go on to success, he he's had such a public and major success story going from Exeter to Williams to Michigan to the Miami Heat. Does does the notoriety that Duncan has given for Exeter basketball helped you at all with your ability to recruit players or just is there more interest in Exeter basketball nationwide?
1: Yeah, you know, I think he he definitely has, has influenced that for sure. Uh, and, you know, if I were correct one thing, Duncan Robinson has always been Duncan Robinson. He's just a, yep. now he's just a world-class shooter yeah. <laughs> who can really do different things at that level. But the one thing I really appreciate about Duncan, he is to that point he's still the same guy today that he was when he was here mm-hmm. his passion his uh, you know he's one of the most compassionate empathetic people i've ever met in my life mm-hmm. he, no true story he's a great he guy. cares yes he's a great he's just a good person yeah he cares about his teammates he is he's a good teammate and i think one of the things that's overlooked in this a lot and how you know those guys who get to that next level they're Yes, they're extraordinarily talented, but they want to be coached. And, you know, I think the, the value of being a good teammate can carry you so much further than just your talent because uh, he's learned how to make other people better. He's learned to how, how to allow other people to make him better you know, mm-hmm. at, at the game of basketball. And that's just a part of the ethos of who he is. Um, and, you know, without being that person that he's always been, I don't know if he is where he is now. Because uh, he he's had some great influences in his life, I'm sure he'll be the first to tell you who are, you know, Harry Raffy, for example, yeah. who you know well as a as a you know a legend at Wesley is one of his best friends who really pushed Duncan and one of his best friends he pushed him and pulled him throughout his career. He's still to this day one of his, I'm probably one of the first people Duncan calls when he has uh, a tough night uh, playing against you know the Spurs or somebody. Mm-hmm. So. He's that kind of person. He's always uh, taken what other people have had to offer and and uh, and process that in, in ways that are going to make him better. And in turn, he you know he pays it forward. He does the same thing. So he's helped our program a ton. Clearly, uh, his notoriety is you know it's really sort of kicked in the last couple of years. I think. Yeah. Uh, and his story is you know it's it's, it's well documented, but he. Um, he, he's the first one whenever I chat with him, he doesn't want to talk about himself. He always wants want to talk about what's going on in our program. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've utilized Duncan and, and some of our former players and different, like a lot of people are in different um, opportunities for zoom calls this year where we've had making that generational connection with our players to talk about what it takes to get to the next level. Or, you know, we had a group of guys who are all, all, part of the nba in one fashion or another right now on a call with our kids uh, about a month ago and he mm-hmm. was part of that and you know it's just he he continues to just get back and um you know uh, along with a lot of our other really you know terrific guys we've had in our program
0: so you're so you've talked a lot about you know the the benefits of what prep school basketball can do just for the players what, once they get there and how it can improve some of their college prospects with uh, exposure and just getting them more rating for college. But once these guys on your team step foot on campus at Phillips Exeter, what what kind of are you doing as a coach to help them with their recruiting? Since a huge reason why they're there is to get recruited to play college basketball.
1: Yeah, you know, I think the first part of being a uh, you know, successful coach at this level, you have to come to grips with the fact that. Uh, you have to embrace the agenda. There's, and what I mean by that is that there's not a single kid who I've recruited who had winning a New England championship as their primary reason for coming to Phillips Exeter. It's mean, mm-hmm. it a byproduct of a lot of different things that, that happen along the way, but right. they're coming here for a world-class education first and foremost. And I, I know that. And I, and, and um, they clearly have a reason for themselves from an athletic standpoint there's their agenda is, is either, you know, they need more exposure or, um, you know, they need to uh, get stronger or they're coming off an injury. There's, you know, there's a lot of different reasons, but I have to embrace the fact that they're coming here to address those situations. They're not coming here because of, you know, the, again, to, to win a, a championship. So, that's the first thing is to figure out who can we serve, like who do we serve best here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I, this is what the beauty of, of prep schools across the board here is: we all serve a different need and a different kind of kid. And finding that fit is so important. In our, you know, fit fit for Exeter may not be a fit in a different school. I mean, mm-hmm. frankly, when I was gro- growing up, this wouldn't have been a good fit for me. I w- it wasn't the the right spot for for a lot where i was at that given time right so you know you got to find that kid that has a specific agenda that fits what exeter can do for them and what i can help do you know in my role here as a coach and help them develop and um look a real advantage we have here and i get this is you know the, the academic reputation is is it's, it's tremendous. And, and, uh, but, you know, beyond that from an athletic standpoint, we have, I think just an unbelievable strength and conditioning program here. Mm-hmm. It's just the facilities grade and coach Fischel, I think is one of the absolute best in the business of what he does. And we have a great, um, training staff here that works together with them. So I think we can really fit a need for a kid who has need for physical development. And, you know, you mentioned Duncan and that's, uh, I it, it's funny. A lot of people will say, oh, "How did we miss on Duncan?" You know, how, how did he end up slipping to to the Division Three level? I said, so, "Well, first of all, he went to a phenomenal Division Three program. Yeah, who a lot of Division who a lot of Division One teams wouldn't have wanted to play at that point. But the time when he came here, it was exactly what he needed. You know, he was a skinny kid about six six, super skilled, could really shoot it. You know, which which I think a lot of people might might identify him as him as that now, but he, he didn't have great core strength. He had some injuries in the summer that really kind of put him in a disadvantage with the recruiting evaluations. This was exactly the kind of environment that he needed. Right. He needed to come in, be around where we could get him physically. Right. Uh, clearly he's a bright kid and, um, an excellent communicator, which is what is one of the skills that you have to have coming into this school because of the, the teaching pedagogy. Um, so you know that's the kind of guy we're looking for. Now, do they all turn out to be great shooters in the NBA? No, they don't. We have great players in the you know at the, at the uh, you know the NASDAQ level and the Ivy Patriot, where have you. But they all sort of have those same that's those same genes, those same same sort of makeup, um, that same agenda. So that's what I'm looking for: is those kids who have the agenda that fits what we can serve.
0: Okay, and so obviously this. This past spring and summer has been unusual, just to say the least. We have obviously the coronavirus pandemic going on. And while that has been going on, the pandemic has canceled basically all the spring and so far as we are into the summer, all the AAU events and, and the recruiting periods and the camps. So how are you helping the guys at Phillips Exeter get recruited without this summer AAU evaluation period?
1: Well, you know, I think a lot of it has. Um, we're very fortunate that we have, you know, a, a bit of tradition here. We've mm-hmm. had some success in the program. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about, you know, the championships and that, that sort of thing. It certainly doesn't hurt. But more about our kids have gone off to play uh, successfully and a lot of team captains, have gone, you know, at, at various levels of college basketball. And I think that starting there Is a real benefit because now those callers coaches with minimal information at their fingertips for the first time in a long time. You know they they have to go they have to go to the well. You know they they got to go where they're used to getting kids from where they've seen kids come out and be successful and that's I think our league uh, in in a in an ironic way is sort of benefit from from that lack of information because coaches know there are good players at this level who are, you know, well coached and not to say they're not at, the, at public schools too, but they, they just know pound for pound. They know what they're getting. For right. their Kids. They, they, they're, they're older. They're more physical. Uh, they've been away from home. You know, they know this program has put kids at, numerous different you know schools where they've been successful and academically, socially, you name it. So I think our, our league has probably benefited from that a bit. I've actually had more calls this year from schools that would typically recruit Exeter kids. Interesting. And I think that's probably part of the equation. Um, but in terms of what am I doing, uh, I am working hard to make sure that the, the, the schools know who our new kids are. Uh, we've put together a lot of, you know, video and um, just information to get out to disseminate to as many colleges as we possibly can, right. and get that information out there. But you know, at the same time, you want to make sure that you're guiding your kids towards the right kind of schools for them, and not just trying to plug holes. Um, True. You know, so we've had a, you know, we, we've had a fair amount of attention early on at this point now with, with college coaches. So in one of our we had our first commitment just this past yeah. week for one of our yeah. rising seniors yeah Robbie stankard who is a second year uh, player for us and team captain and you know he's he's a he's a terrific student and I think he's got a real bright future as a player at 690 he's skilled and uh, really started to identify with uh, how to pl- how to really play at the patient need to at the collegiate level and I think that's paid off for him
0: yeah for sure so kind of to, just to take a step back here, just to talk about the AAU part of it, just just for a sec. AAU yeah. is kind of everyone's favorite thing to complain about in just the youth basketball world. And when you talk to a lot of traditional high school coaches, there's this battle between high school coaches and AAU coaches of who has more power or influence or just who's more important to the players. Is it the AAU coach or is it the high school coach? What is that relationship like between prep school coaches and AAU coaches uh or just the au basketball game and the prep school game
1: well you know what i think if the the idea of power comes into play then you're in it for the wrong reason mm-hmm. um you know i, I think if people are looking for credit for putting people in different places you're, you're coaching for the wrong reasons i mm-hmm. you know I, I think you know for there. you know unfortunately that's the case They're at all at all different levels that's not just to say you know that that's how it is in au basketball it's in in and uh, high school and prep school basketball exists too, but I think there's there's also, you know, I, again, there are so many great AU coaches out there that are doing things the right way for their guys too.
0: Right. There's sure. no
1: question. There's no question, and I think sometimes it gets a bad rap. And, and look, some prep schools get a bad rap too, and I'm sensitive to that because there's a, there's a, there's always a a few outliers at bay cause a bad reputation for for a wider range and that's you know inappropriate but i think the same could be said for for aau but i do think you know it's the bottom line is i think if, if kids are finding coaches to play for that they know have their best interest in hand uh they're going to be in, in good shape and i i try to try to have a uh open dialogue with the college coaches and uh, I'm sorry, the uh, AAU coaches that, that our kids are playing with, you know, as well as their former coaches. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important. I'm going to go back to where I started this conversation with it. It's, there's no one person that knows how to do this thing right. Right, for sure. And when you're talking about shaping these kids mm-hmm. and preparing them for the next level, uh, there, there's so many people that have influenced them from their high school coaches to their, you know, some kids have have really good trainers or what have you, the AAU coaches. It's, you got to have all of those guys together to you know, work, work, working together in, in the perfect scenario. It doesn't always it doesn't always exist, right? But it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to make sure that all those people who have been influential in that kid's life are not part of the equation to for make sure, sure that the, the kid ends up in a great situation.
0: So you've talked a lot about preparing guys for the right situation and, and be, being ready to succeed once they get into college, and you've talked about how at Exeter or in yeah. prep school, you have the great academics to help you get get ready. You have that type of college environment. You have the weight rooms to work on physical development, but also mental toughness and just the mental side of sports is incredibly important. And a lot of times yeah. in, in my own experience, yeah. it separates the good from the great. And you know, when, when you get to college, it is a grind and the ability to to keep the mental side of things on on, on your side and staying positive and just staying mentally tough through all the ups and downs that come with a college basketball season or a college basketball career is very tough. How do you go about trying to help your players improve on, on the mental side of sports, not just the, the physical side?
1: Yeah. You know, that's a really, really good question, David. And I appreciate you asking that. There's, you know, I don't think there's a cookie cutter answer to it and, and it's, it's fluid in my mind in terms of I'm constantly looking for ways to do that I think we've we've been able to do that a bit with our guys I think that has been part of the reason why we've been successful as a program is that we do and look, it, it, it doesn't it's not like we're taking lumps of coal and turning them into diamonds here I mean, right. we're getting we're recruiting good kids uh, who come from you know good good support systems and they want to be here and they, they know they embrace the child. This was a challenging place. I know the kids are working. I know what they're doing every day academically here. Um, and, um, you know, I, so there's, there's a little bit of that, that ability within them to want to accept challenges to begin with. So I know there's sort of that, that platform for mental toughness, but, you know, I, I think one of the b- biggest misnomers with mental toughness, people sort of think is like, uh, it's not about, you know, Diving on the floor, you know, and doing all that kind of that kind of stuff, and hitting the big shot. I mean, I think it has more to do with what can you do on a daily basis. You mm-hmm. know, staying present, being in the moment, and doing the best you can in that situation. Being, being again, being a really good teammate, I think, is really important. Like, what does that mean? It's like it's understanding what's going on around you. You know, it's it's understanding. While you're up, someone else is down. On your team. How do you make that kid better? You know, to me, to me, that's kind of mental toughness is is being alert and being uh, present and uh, being consistent. I think that's really important. For sure. Uh, and we, you know, that's something that we kind of sh- we strive to do, and we we talk about every day in practice, and we always start practice with that. We try to be very honest. I think being comfortable, being vulnerable with each other is is part of being mentally tough. Right. And those are the things that kinda of help you through those those times of the season. Every every season has this this ebb and flow and you know it's 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 a roller coaster. You know that as a as a collegiate athlete yourself. And people oftentimes will talk about that twenty five and one season we had when Duncan was with us and we were really good. And what people don't realize is all of the tough things we went through that year. Yeah as a group, you know, individually, collectively. And we haven't won a lot of games, but it was a mentally tough group. of kids really cared and, and were able to, you know, identify uh, and be alert throughout the year and knowing what each other were going through and lift each other up. And it was just really, they were good teammates. And I think, you know, the definition of that is a good teammate is someone who, who's really, um, someone who's really good to be around as a teammate but really hard to play against yeah that's that's you know you have that right guy Mm -hmm, for sure so i think preaching that is really important and it's not just something you say once a while you have to just be consistent with that uh in in everything you do um and uh you know making sure that's part of the 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 culture of your program
0: so you've been around the game of basketball for a long time you've been in Seen it from the college game, and I was in the prep school game for a long time. And the game of basketball in 2020 is, at, at, yeah. at least at the professional level, a completely different game than it was in 2010, just 10 years ago. If if you were giving recommendations to high school guys who either at Exeter or younger in, in middle school or younger, of uh, like freshman or sophomore, about what are some things to really work on from a skill wise to to best be ready to play. In this modern, ever-evolving game
1: of basketball, well, I think at the younger level, um, it's just it's being as versatile as you can be. You know, it's just learning. You know, this you have to do a great just you have to be skilled to play the game at the higher level. You, you can't be limited um, in your ability to. You know, if you if you don't have a left hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right.
1: you're really cutting yourself in half and you know and it, it, so to speak and you you really are you're limiting yourself and you know there's a lot of other things too I think that that and I look back at we you know we the conversation we had about skills camps we don't have anymore kids have don't necessarily learn the importance of uh, I mean frankly simple things like you know pivoting and learning how to pass with one hand and two hands and things like that at the younger level. But those are skill things that younger kids really need to be focused on and, right. and uh, to get them, get them ahead of the game a little bit. And there are some AAU pro, AU programs that do a great job of that in the offseason. Um, so they're still there. But I feel like there's less of an emphasis on those things in the summer. So a lot of kids aren't doing that. You know, they're going and they're playing as opposed to, frankly, I found it quite boring when I was a little kid.
0: <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> but I did it. I went to camp. So right. That's kind of how I learned. The noticed, stations. Sort of, yeah, it's sort of the ABCs of what you, you learn to do, exactly, at drill mm-hmm. stations and... You know, learning how to play help side defense in the box. I still just yep. you know remember. I remember two things about about those things. I remember the principles of it. I remember how sore I got sitting on my tail you know, on the concrete floor at a, game, at a camp. Yeah, you know. But those things stuck with me. Um, so that, that you know, I think that's really important for younger kids. I think for as you get up the up the food chain a bit, and you want to be a collegiate player, there's there's different things become so much more important at our level. You know, I, I place a premium on communication. Uh, you have to be able to communicate well on the floor. Um, you, you've got to be verbal. Uh, you have to you have to know how to play without the ball in your hand. I, I regularly ask kids when I'm recruiting them, when they, they come in, I'll say, you know, if I had a stopwatch and I watched you play at uh, your high school level, and I started and stopped it every time you touched the ball, you know, a 32-minute game, how long do you think you'd have the ball in your hands? And you know, inevitably, it comes down to about oh, probably about maybe three, four minutes for a kid who is ball dominant. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, well, what the heck are you do in the other twenty-eight minutes? Right. You know, so it's like there's so much more beyond the skill with the ball in your hands. Like, how well do you? How hard do you cut? It's not only just how hard, but how intelligently do you cut? And how well do you screen? And how well do you space the floor? And You know, do you communicate in rotations like that is the stuff that's the difference makers between your good athletes and real basketball players to the next level?
0: For sure. So coach, I appreciate all the time. I got one more question before we get to the fun ones to end. You know, you're preparing for a upcoming season where, to be honest, you and I would both agree. We don't know if it's going to happen or just what it's going to look like. Kind of how are you preparing for a basketball season? In this coronavirus-dominated world,
1: yeah, you know, so I am, I am an absolute hoop junkie with stuff like listening to basketball podcasts. Or, you know, tinkering with my, you know, uh, I love Zach Bovair stuff on YouTube where I'm watching other offenses and defensive philosophies. I just, I do that stuff all the time. I drive my wife crazy, <laughs> so I, I still do that. But I'm keeping the back of my mind that this off season is very different. It's not just me about preparing what we want to do next year. I'm just coming back to the core of, again, the agenda, why are kids coming here? Right. Uh, they're coming here to get better. They're coming here to improve in a certain particular, you know, individual area area that they have. And, and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm really making sure we're adhering to that. And, preparing ourselves the best we possibly can on what circumstances we're allowed to do here to make sure that our kids are addressing those needs. Um, but, you know, in, in some ways, it's actually there's a lot of silver linings with this whole thing is I feel more connected with this this new group coming in. And it, the funny part is it's like three, I have three kids coming on, on our team. She have never even see campus. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> you know i because they they just they couldn't come they got shut out late in the process and and, uh but we've been we've had you know through the the zoom boy i wish we all wish we bought stock in that but you know that that has become so important and connecting with players that i feel like i'm I'm, i know these guys really well before they they're here and And our guys have been doing things together on Zoom without me from anything from having discussions about, you know, social injustice to, you know, ball handling workouts and alumni connections. So it's been really sort of empowering Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah, clearly we want to kind of, okay keep that in this proper place to get back together pretty soon. But we've done a lot. I think that developmentally is going to help us as a program uh, and help us as people. Moving forward, which I think is a really positive, uh, sort of uh, unintended outcome of all of this, and um, you know I'm, I'm hoping that that you know comes to fruition when they all, we're all fortunate enough to get back together. For sure. Um,
0: well, well, coach, I appreciate all the time. I have five rapid fire questions to end the podcast. Yeah,
1: let's let's go.
0: All right, number one, what is your favorite drill as a coach?
1: My favorite drill. Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to say we have something called the Kansas drill and what it's called is not important. It's probably because I steal everything from other people, but it's it's a drill that is a fast paced three on oh conditioning layup drill that requires guys to be in in constant communication and the whole the whole idea behind it is to uh, bring energy up through mistakes so that you don't have negative body language.
0: Okay. I, I like that one. Do you have any pregame superstitions? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I, I don't like getting out of the locker room too early. Okay. I was sitting there by myself for a while. I don't know if it's a superstition, but it's an, and on the day, day of the game, I uh make sure I, I I just sort of have this idea. I have to do everything meticulously right. You know, I can't uh okay. I can't leave the I can't leave the trash can half full. I got to make sure <laughs> I take it out. It's just good, it's all about good juju before the game, you know.
0: For sure. Who's the best player you ever coached against in the nest, in the nepsack?
1: The best player I ever coached against? Mhm. Um Oh, boy. Um, I'd say, you know, Cormac Ryan was a real challenge for us to play against because uh, he, really he has is. Yeah, a specific skill set is really, really challenging. You know, we've had probably kids who may be more talented at a higher higher level, but, you know, he was one in our league that was a real a bear to deal with. And, you know, Lamar is somebody with the utmost respect for him, he could really coach and yeah. find ways to get him in situations yeah. that were just a pain to deal with. So he's, uh, you know, he's, clearly one of the, the top kids that we've had to had to go up against
0: yeah i played against cormac he's a new york city kid and when he was at the collegiate school in new york he was a sophomore on the varsity team when i was uh, a junior on the, on the varsity team at my high school poly Prep, and we faced off and he's a tremendous player and i think he's at he went to stanford and then transferred to, to notre dame so he's an awesome, awesome right. player
1: yeah yeah good kid too
0: if you could change one rule about nepsac basketball what would you change
1: I wish we in. Uh, I wish everybody played forty minute games.
0: Okay, making more like college. Interesting. And, yeah. and and last one. Do you have any coaching pet peeves?
1: Uh, things of myself or just things that other coaches do? In general. In general. Um. I think the biggest thing for me is really about you know, being honest in terms of your evaluation of your own players with mm-hmm. college coaches. I think that's a big one. It's, it's, it's making sure that you're really being honest. It's trying to, you know, plug a kid, plugging a kid at the highest level versus the appropriate level mm-hmm. is a bit of a pet peeve in mine. That and sort of, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, uh, you know, I, I know there's a lot of talk about coaches that are, Poaching kids from other prep schools—I think that's that's really something that our league needs to address as well because there's enough talent to go around out there. But you know, I, um, I think that's something that, that that I think certainly is on the mind of a lot of coaches. But you know, through and through, we've got just tremendous coaches in our league, and and all of that I mean, look at, Class A alone has become just such a terrific. I'm so proud to be part of it. You know, we got such good people in there, and the parity in the league is. Sorry, I know going go on a tangent here, but I think about like what, what, like you know what, Rock Batistoni's done at Loomis, who you know not so long ago Loomis wasn't very good, and now he's right. built just an awesome program there, and you know what Ti's done at Andover in recent years has been been impressive, and you know Chris Mullen I think is a great coach, and these are all just you know A guys, and there's so many other just great coaches that are they'll probably part of and i i i just learned so much from these guys i like guess it's, it's it's just awesome to be part of it
0: well coach i appreciate all the time as always on the double double we give the last word to uh our our coaching guests do you have anything uh you want to shout out to the great people of exeter new hampshire
1: <laughs> yeah i'm just you know thank you for the for uh all the good work that um our school has done and preparing for whatever we're doing next year. And uh, I'm just excited to get back to get back into action and get our kids here in a safe and healthy environment. Uh, you no, know, I, I think it's going to be a special year. I really do. And regardless of what we can do, I think people have a greater appreciation for, for, you know, the, the situation that that we're all in and I, I think it's going to be a really good year a lot has happened in the last six months
0: right for sure you
1: know a lot has happened and um we've had some time to kind of sit back and digest and think through things and I, i'm looking forward to just getting back and and having those those faces in front of me and being excited about getting back to work and uh, trying to do what we do best
0: for sure so coach i appreciate all the time want to wish you guys the best of luck at phillips exeter and uh just best of luck going forward
1: thank you david i appreciate your time and um if there's ever anything we can we can do to, to help you and and your endeavors please don't hesitate
0: that'll do it for this episode of the double double if you like this podcast you could find us on itunes spotify or rarity your podcast and you can subscribe rate and review five stars would be much much appreciated you can also follow us on twitter at dbl underscore dbl podcast we will be back next week until then take care and make it a great day